So feeling love for someone is not the same as loving someone. I mean, you already know that, right? Uh, So let me ask you this. How do you demonstrate that you love someone? How do you demonstrate that you love your spouse? How do you demonstrate that you love your kids? How do you demonstrate that you love a friend? How do you demonstrate that? Now, some may say, you know, I don't have to demonstrate that because God already knows. I love them. I mean, they already know. I mean, my spouse already knows. I mean, I don't need to tell her I love her. I mean, she already knows. I don't need to do anything for her. I don't need to do anything for my kids. They already know. That doesn't work. I mean, you know that doesn't work, right? Let me ask you this. How do you demonstrate to God that you love him? How do you do that? How how do you demonstrate to God that you love him? And you know what does not work with God? Oh, he already knows. He already knows what's in my heart. That doesn't work. Well, I don't have to say anything. I don't have to do anything. He, He already knows. I mean, it doesn't work with our human relationships. Why would we think that would work with our heavenly relationship with God, our Father? Why do we pretend that it works with him? See, over 2,000 years ago, God demonstrated his very love for all humanity in the most incredible way. He entered our world to suffer, to die, and to resurrect back to life. That through Jesus coming into our world, suffering on our behalf, dying on our behalf, to take the punishment of sins that we all deserve, and to come back to life, to give life to all who would trust in him. As Savior, He would give the fullness of life to everyone who would trust in him as Savior and follow him as their Lord. See, not only did Jesus demonstrate God's love for us, Jesus revolutionized how the world sees God. And he redefined what it means to love God. Jesus revolutionized how the world would see God and he would redefine for you and I and for the world what it means to love God in return. And if you're a picture of God, if you have a picture of God and it does not look like Jesus, you have the wrong picture of God. If your picture of God does not look like Jesus, you have put a, you have created a God in a different likeness that is not the image of God. And if you think that you... You think that God already knows you love him and, 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 and if you think that you don't have to do anything I want you to hold on Just bear with me today And lean in and listen in Because Jesus is going to redefine as we see today What it means to love God And more on that in a moment My name is Casey And it's such an honor and a privilege to uh, be together with you today I cherish this every week And for those of you that are new with us in the room We are so honored to be with you today Uh, For those of you that are new with us online We're so grateful to share this time together with you And if you're new with us um, online or in the room We have a gift for you For those of you that are in the room uh, We'd love to give you this gift right after service So right after after the service, after we end in our singing and we dismiss you today, would you go across our lobby into our welcome center and there will be a host there and that host would love to give you a gift for being with us today. Also, they will share with you in less than four minutes, if you'll give that to us, four things about who we are as Westside. Um, for those of you that are online, we'd love to give you a gift. They're posting a link to what we call a connect card right now. If you'll click that link, fill that out, we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Now, Westside, would you help me let everyone that's watching online and let everyone that's new with us in the room know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that? Yeah.
So last week we started this new series uh, that that I am hoping will recalibrate us as a church family. You know what it means to recalibrate? Realign ourselves. It's get us all firing together on the same cylinder. And last week we talked about how important our identity is. And this is the whole idea of the series. Is, is like we are God's family. This is the name of the series. And we're talking about being on mission together. And we're talking about how our identity as, as God's family defines our mission. Our mission drives our vision. Our vision then directs our behaviors. And when we all share these same behaviors, when we're all doing the same things, It creates this life-giving culture that God brings through us and in us. And in this, we put it all together in one statement that I want want you to know, it's more than just a series big idea. This is like our church identity statement. And I want this, this this is not just our church identity that defines our mission. It's what directs our vision. It's what drives our vision. It's what directs our behaviors that we share together. And this is, I believe, what's going to create the life-giving culture That God wants not just our church to have. I believe God wants the capital C church. The church that that is all over the world. That when we do these things together, God does something incredible in us, among us, and through us. And so here's a serious big idea. And it's something I challenge you to memorize. So we're going to work on that a little bit today. So here it is. We are God's family on mission together, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus to build up Christ-centered families by wrapping God's family around your family. We are God's family. This is our identity. This is who we are. Because of God's love for us and Jesus' demonstration of that love, we are brought into the family of God. We are God's family. We are on mission together. And this mission is loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And our vision is to build up Christ-centered disciples, build build up Christ-centered families by building up Christ-centered disciples who are loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. And and we are going to all share in the same behavior, which is wrapping God's family around your family, wrapping God's family around those who are single, wrapping God's family around those who are empty nesters, or wrapping God's family around uh, those who are married and and now just have kids, or those who just got married. We're going to wrap God's family around you to become a Christ-centered disciple, to build up a Christ-centered family, and the way we're going to do is we're going to wrap God's family and love you. Now, I want to say us to say this out loud together. So I'll um, have them keep it up on the screen. If you guys don't mind putting that back up on the screen. You got it in your notes. You just wrote down loving, becoming, and sharing. And so in this online, we want you to type that in together. Just do this all together. Here we go. Are you ready? Let's say this together. You ready? I, want, I don't want you to half-heartedly do this. Okay? Let's do this the West Side way. Here we go. We are God's family on mission together, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus to build up Christ-centered families by wrapping God's family around your family. Oh my goodness, I just got chills saying that. Can can, in that in Christ we are. Okay, unshakable. If you're new with us, that's just something we all uh, commonly will do every once in a while because we do believe in Christ. We are unshakable. And can I tell you something? A community that sees themselves as their God's family on mission together, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus to build up Christ-centered disciples by wrapping God's family around your family. That is an unshakable family. That is unshakable. And we're going to look at today, we're going to look at today one behavior that if we share this one behavior, I believe it is a keystone habit to the power of God working among us and working through us. 
And it won't have, God cannot work among us and through us if we do not do this one keystone. That's why it's called the keystone habit. It's if we don't do this one keystone thing, God cannot work in us, through us, and among us. This is what we're going to talk about today. But first, we need to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. We need to remind ourselves of why Jesus is so important to our identity. Okay? See, Jesus is so central to our identity. This is why we're building up Christ-centered families. He's so central to our mission. He's so central to, to, um, uh, to everything, our vision, our behaviors. Everything that we do centers around Jesus. Not just here on a Sunday, but outside of Sunday. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And this is why it's so important. And this is the reason it's so important. To see Jesus is to see God. To see Jesus is to see God. We cannot forget this. We cannot forget this. You know, can I tell you why we can't forget this? Because the enemy is out to deceive the world from knowing the truth of who God is, what God is like, and who God is who God likes. The enemy is trying to deceive the world from keeping them from seeing who God is. Because if the enemy can keep people from agreeing on who Jesus is and seeing Jesus for who he is, the world can be deceived from, from knowing who God is. And there are lies being spread all around to say Jesus is not God. And therefore, deceiving people from knowing who God is. So we need to remind ourselves that to see Jesus is to see the one true God who has revealed himself through the Hebrew people. This is the same God of the Old Testament is the same God that we see in Jesus and he's revealed himself through the Hebrew people through that and with one purpose. He came, wanted to enter our world to save the world by, uh, save the world from the eternal destruction of sin by giving life to all who would trust in him as Savior, trust in Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord. See, Jesus was clear in this. There's no ambiguity in this. Jesus was clear in saying that he is God and that to see him is to see God the Father in heaven. And here are a few times that we see Jesus clearly talking about this in the disciples. So, and, 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 and first is, I just these are several among many in the New Testament. In John chapter 12, John, who is a, one of the three closest disciples of Jesus, recorded Jesus' words saying, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. To see Jesus is to see God. To look at Jesus, he would say, is to look at God. And if that's not clear enough, in, in John 14, 9, he goes even further. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. To see me, it's, he's, he's, there's no ambiguity here. To see me is to see God the Father. And this isn't just what the gospel writers co- collected in Jesus' teachings. Than what they believe. The first century apostles would teach this, and they not just believe this, but they would teach this as a foundational truth in the New Testament. Paul would write this in his follow-up letter, one of his follow-up letters to the church in Corinth. He would say, the God of this age, and you need to listen in on this one. The God of this age, that's Satan, by the way. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Look at this. Who is the image of God. See, Jesus is the picture of God to the world who has had an unclear picture of God. And the enemy wants to blind people from seeing the good news of who Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2 
Paul would be writing about Jesus and he would say this, who being in very nature God, being in very nature to God. Jesus is God. He is the same God that we read and his nature that his is not different than the nature that we see in the Old Testament. It's the same nature and he's the full representation of the full nature of God. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul would go on to write, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God no, is no longer invisible to the world, but it's clearly seen in Jesus. The writer of he- the Hebrew letter says this, the son is the radiance of God's glory. And look at this, the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know who, there's only one person who can sustain all things by his powerful word. That's word, that's God. And Jesus, the Hebrew writer says, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's the exact, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is, what God is like, and who God likes. It's clear. That to see Jesus is to see God. And to know God, we must know Jesus. To love God, we also must love Jesus. Because to love Jesus is to love God. However, Jesus would redefine what it means to love God. And if I could summarize all of Jesus' teachings... And how to, 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 for us to, to love God, this is how I would say in summary of all of Jesus' teachings, to love one another and all others is to love God. To love one another and to love all others is to love God. Jesus made this so clear in his teachings. So lawyer, and we talk about this verse a lot because it's so central to how we uh, follow Jesus. It's so central to the message of the whole gospel and the message of the Bible that we hold. Jesus uh, was approached, a a lawyer comes and says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? We read this in Matthew chapter 22. Um, Jesus replies, love the Lord your God, quoting Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says something. And the second, which they were ready for this, because this was something that they would share in their, uh, their, 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 their rabbinic communities. But he says it different. He says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not the second commandment. It's the second that is like it. And when Jesus said, like it, it changed it. Like it is not less than it. Like it is equal to it. And Jesus was clear on this. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you must love your neighbor as yourself, with which the Jews would then have this big debate about who their neighbor is, and we have that debate. I mean, we're just as just like them, you know. And the reason we like to debate who we don't have to love is so we can create exemptions, and we can justify who our neighbor is. And if we can justify who our neighbor is, then we can create these exemptions on groups of people that we don't have to love. But Jesus redefined our love for God. To love God means to love one another. We love those in need. That was the story of the Good Samaritan. And we even go to the extent that we love our enemy. And we, here's the reality, we can love others 
and not love God. But we cannot love God without loving others. There are people all over the world who love and show love and demonstrate true love to other people. But they don't love God. But you cannot love God. We cannot love God without loving each other and all others. You know what's really difficult? It's difficult to demonstrate love to those with whom we have close proximity. Isn't that hard? I mean, this is the most difficult group to, to, to demonstrate love. See, those in cro- pro- close proximity to us, those who are the closest to us, who live with us, who, who, we, who we see all the time, those are the people that frustrate us and irritate us the most, right? And can I even go to the extent? I appreciate that. <laughs> They're also the ones who hurt us the most. See, a stranger, it doesn't hurt when a stranger does something because there's no close relationship. It's not as irritating when a stranger does something because there's no relationship. It's not as frustrating when someone does something and they're not close to you. But the more you get to know someone, the more difficult it is to love them. It takes more work to love them because it costs more to love them. It's a greater sacrifice to love them. It costs more to love those who are closest to you. And let me say this. It is very difficult, if not impossible, to demonstrate love for someone without having proximity to them. You can't. You can't demonstrate love for someone while avoiding them. We cannot love without proximity. This is why God entered our world, took on the full flesh. God, fully human and fully God. Jesus is God, fully human and fully God. And he did this so he could dwell with us, to have proximity to us, to show us his love for us. And Jesus is clear. That your love for God is demonstrated in your love for those in proximity to you. And we deceive ourselves if we think we can demonstrate our love for God by coming on a Sunday and only coming on a Sunday, singing songs and leaving, not interacting with anybody. We can, we can, we can, we can do our daily prayer and do our daily Bible verse and, and we, can, we can pray in the morning. <laughs> And we can keep all that in our safety and our comforts of our isolated lives. See, that's not love. See, we can demonstrate our love. We cannot demonstrate our love for God while living in isolation from one another. And Jesus made this clear the night before he would go to the cross. We look at this. If if we say this a hundred times, I'll say it a hundred more because this is so important to what we do as a community. On the night before you go to the cross, he would say, a new command I give you. Amen. Let's pray. I, we'll just take that as God's really getting our attention today. 
On the night before he would go to the cross, he would say a new command I give you. Love one another. And it's not love like you would define love. It's not love like your mom defined love. It's not love how the psychology professor defined love. He says, I, God in a body, representing God to you, am going to give you the definition of love. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, everyone will know that you follow me. By this, everyone will know and see the church. And by this, everyone will know if you love one another. He repeats himself. I mean, this is Jesus repeating himself. He, he, he says this. And he goes, then he goes, and he repeats himself. And the way he repeats himself is in John chapter 14, verse 21, he says, if, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you're going to keep what I command. And, then, and then, then in John 15, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. And he repeats himself. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Get the picture? You're going to love one another. And if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. And my command is this. If I can't drive it home enough, my command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. Love each other that way. He was driving home the point that to love him, we must love one another in the way he has loved us. Now, How we love one another is a testimony of how God has loved us. And it's a demonstration of our love for God. See, how we love one another is a testimony. It's a witness to the world. Think about this. You know what the witness to the world is? It's how we gather together. To express the love of God the way he has loved us. To, that we, the way we love one another is going to tell the world what God's love is for them. And it's also going to demonstrate to God our love for him. And you already know what I'm about to say, but I feel like I need to say this anyway. You cannot love one another without gathering together. You cannot love one another by avoiding one another. You cannot demonstrate love for God and and be the testimony to the world. The church cannot be the testimony to the world if we avoid gathering together with God's family. After all, that's what the word church is. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is his church where he's building. And that word church is that Greek word ekklesia, and that word ekklesia is gathering. It's not a bunch of isolated people. He's like, I'm building my gathering, my assembly. And, and what if the keystone behavior to showing the world who God is, to, is, to showing the world who, what God is like, is that the church gathers together and does one thing when we gather together. We love one another. 
Is it any wonder then that the enemy is working so hard and has been working so hard since the beginning of time to keep us from wanting to be together? It's been happening since the beginning of time. He wants you to be so busy to be together. He wants you to get so focused on on the differences that divide you to isolate you and separate you. And the enemy distracts us from keeping our devotion on God. And our devotion is represented by gathering together. Our motivation is to gather. That's, our motivation to gather is not what we get from the gathering. That's not what church is all about. Church is not about coming because you get something from it. That's what Costco or Sam's Club is all about. Now, it may be what brings you to church, but it's not what keeps us coming back to being with the church. The reason we gather together regularly is to demonstrate to Jesus our love for him by loving one another. This is why we gather not just here, but we gather outside in homes. This is why we want you in groups. This is why we want you sacrificing time and things that you could be doing and want to be doing because Jesus is number one in your life. And you're going to demonstrate to God by showing up. This is not about church attendance. It's about uh, showing God that we love him and demonstrating to the world and being a witness to the world of what God's love is like as we love one another. See, our motivation to gather is not what we get from the gathering. Our motivation is that Jesus has loved us and commanded us to love one another. See how our identity is directly tied to our shared behavior. Our identity then leads to the shared behavior that every one of us need to do together. And today, here's the one thing that I believe. If we did this together as this church community, and we modeled this well, it could change the spiritual landscape of our community. And here's a teaching big idea. We are loving Jesus by gathering together to love one another. That we're loving Jesus, and the way we're going to love Jesus, we're going to love Jesus by doing this one habit. We're going to gather together. We're going to gather together. This is our motivation to gather together. It's not because of what I get from the community. It's because God loved me so much that he demonstrated his love, and the way I'm going to respond to his, the way I'm going to worship and respond to his love for me is I'm going to show up with his family to love his family the way he commanded me to. This is the keystone habit, and this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the New Testament is filled with examples of loving one another. You can't, you, you, you can't read the epistles and the letters of that, that James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, that Peter, the apostle, uh, the disciple of Jesus, that John and that Paul would write. You can't read these without seeing the love one another and the way we love one another as Christ has loved us. Paul would say, bear with one another. Bear with one another's shortcomings. Bear with one another when they te- are tempted and they fail. Don't, don't, don't write off one another. Bear with one another. He would say, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. He would say things like, be devoted to one another. The, the authors would write, live in harmony with one another. And here's the thing. You can't exercise these one another's being isolated from each other. The only way that can happen is with this keystone habit. We gather together. We gather together. All of the one another's of of Scripture demand proximity with one another. We must gather together. And church, can I just say something bold? 
we must stop making excuses and allowing excuses to prevent us from gathering together. And I'm not saying this because I want to have a large church. I'm saying this because I want us to demonstrate to God our love the way he's commanded us to. We must stop believing the lie that we can love God without making the sacrifice to be together with God's family. We must gather together because we love Jesus. And we're loving Jesus by gathering together to love one another. So when we gather, what do we do? Well, that's what I want to finish today with. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to just look at this real quickly. Romans chapter 15, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And, and as we listen, read this, I want you to listen and, and, and maybe circle the words that are others-oriented. Okay, you ready for this? He goes, we who are strong ought to bear with the falling failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. You see that? that that's just powerful right there. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So he's writing them, how do you, how do you live out of the expression of this gospel? When you're gathering, this is what you do. Don't gather for what you get. Gather to please the neighbor. Gather to please the other one. And then he goes in verse three, for even Christ did not please himself as it is written. So he's saying, Jesus is our model. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This is why we have the scriptures. Is that we have hope. And it points to Jesus. And then he goes in verse five. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Paul learned how to take the new command, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He learned how to infiltrate that to every area of his life, and he would teach the church that this one command is how you interact with the family of God. As I have loved you, as Christ has accepted you, you need to accept one another. Because Christ has accepted you, you accept one another. How did Christ show us he accepted us? I love, Paul just makes it clear right here. In verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles, by the way, that's us, the non-Jews, might, be, might glorify God for his mercy. See, Jesus showed his acceptance of us by showing up to be with us, by serving us church we love jesus when we accept one another as jesus has accepted us and after all that's the gospel right you're accepted you're accepted god didn't want you to say hey hey you know what you before you belong you, you got to clean up your life no he accepts you as you are romans 5 says while we were still sinners christ died for us it's his kindness that leads us into repentance. He, he, he shows and demonstrates his acceptance of you. 
by coming to serve you. Church, this is what Jesus did for us. This is why continually we need to have an environment where we accept one another. We are a community where no one is perfect, where all God, but yet God has accepted us. And we are a community that is motivated by his acceptance of us to accept one another. We, we do this, and it doesn't mean that you have to look like us, behave like us, believe like us. This is a community where you can belong in there because God accepted us as we are. And we're not a community who only accepts those like us, believe us, likes us, and looks like us. We're going we're going to accept those who are unlike us. And when we show up, we're not just showing up to sit. We're showing up to serve. I love I'm so grateful for those of you who serve in all of our environments or in the many different environments that we have on a Sunday because you know what you're doing? You're making this a place and an environment, a community where people feel accepted where families feel accepted, where people, when they first see your eyes as they're walking into this, this community, that they know they're accepted. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus that we demonstrate every time we gather together. See, earlier in Romans 14, 1, Paul would say, accept one another whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Paul would say this in, 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 in chapter earlier, and say, so, you know what we need to do? We need to stop allowing petty issues to become more important to us than loving one another the way God has loved us and the way he commanded us to love one another. So we accept one another. And that's how we love Jesus. Secondly, we read in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he burst into this prayer. And this, man, as I read this prayer, it encourages my heart. Such an encouraging prayer. And I believe this is why he wrote this. He's encouraging the readers in Rome. Early in verse 5, Paul would say, God gives endurance and encouragement to have the same attitude and to have the same mind in Christ, toward each other. And here, he encourages them through this. This encouragement comes from God. And Paul encourages them. See, we love Jesus when we encourage one another to trust in Jesus, his gospel, and his hope. That when we encourage one another to trust in Jesus, that this is what we do. Hey, you know what? You can trust God no matter what. I want to encourage you. I know it's a difficult time, but you can, you, God, you, you can, you, God, you, I want to encourage you to trust in him no matter what. I want you to trust in his gospel and his truth. I know it's different than, than what you want to believe, in, but I want you to trust it. I want you to trust that life is when you follow Jesus. Encourage one another to trust in the gospel. And we encourage one another with the hope that we have in eternity. We encourage one another. See, we love Jesus when we encourage one another to trust in Jesus, his gospel, and his hope. And we do this, most importantly, when we pray for one another. I mean, after all, this is almost what his verse is. It's a prayer. May the God of hope fill you with peace as you trust in him. And then he goes on. Oh, by the way, you can only encourage one another if you're gathering together. And he goes on. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. You know, it's really not my job to just teach you. 
My job is to equip you to teach one another. To instruct one another. To challenge each other to follow Jesus. See, Paul challenges them to teach one another. In, in, in the scripture, we, we see this also, you know, admonish one another, correct one another, rebuke one another, teach one another, instruct one another. We see it all the way throughout the, the Gospels. This is out of our response to who Jesus is, it, 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 this is what we do. And Paul challenges us to do that. And it's not just something I do for you. This is what we do together. We challenge one another. This is why I love when I hear people. So what was your next step? What do you, what do you need to do this week to follow what you heard? Or when people come to me and you need to come to me, or when you go to someone else and you say, hey, you know what? There's, a, there's something in your life that's not aligning with who Jesus is and what Jesus teaches us to follow him. And I just, I, I just want to challenge you with that. We, we got to do that with one another. We're the family. And, 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 this, and, and the world says, well, that's what makes you guys hypocrites. Because you're always instructed and challenging, you know, and you're, but this is the reality, okay? We're all sinners. All of our eyes are on Jesus, and we appeal to one another. It's not that we've got this right and we're on it. We're just, all our eyes are on focus on Jesus. We have our own mishaps and our own failings and our own shortcomings. And we recognize that, but that's what makes us a beautiful community. It's because we all know we're accepted. And we all know that we're encouraged to follow him. And we all know that God doesn't leave us the same and he challenges us to follow him. And as we follow him, the power of the Holy Spirit changes us. See, we love Jesus when we challenge one another to follow Jesus as our Lord. This is what we're to do. This is what the family of God does. See, we're not just going to accept you and encourage you and allow you to be the same. We're going to accept you and encourage you and challenge you to join us in this journey of following Jesus. Because the goal that God has for you is the same goal that he has for me. It's not for you to look like me. It's not for me to look like you. It's for us to look like Jesus. And we're going to fail, but we're going to wrap God's family around each other when we fall short. And when we stumble and fall and when we, when, when we come into a hardship or a hurdle of life, we're going to wrap God's family around each other. And we're going to love one another, accepting one another, encouraging one another, and challenging one another. And you know, here, here's the thing. is If you take those words, accept, challenge, and encourage, and you put them in that order, it kind of creates this act, acrostic ace. You know what the ace card is? It's the one that can't be trumped. And the enemy cannot trump the church who's showing Jesus their love for him by accepting one another, challenging one another to follow Jesus and encouraging one another. The enemy can't trump it. And God works through that type of a church. Luke, in his follow-up account to his gospel, he would write this about the first century church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to scripture, to the teachings of Jesus, and to the fellowship, the gathering, the sharing that we have together by gathering together, to the breaking of bread, which was a reminder 
of Christ's love for us, this communion we have. And it's also the reminder of how we demonstrate our love for God by loving one another. And they were devoted to prayer. And look what we read. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. No one amongst them were, was, was in need because they were together. They sold property and every day they continued in verse 46. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. You couldn't keep them from being together. And they ate with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know how I said this would change the spiritual landscape of a community? Read this last part. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to be a part of that church. We are a part of that church because we are God's family on mission together. And we're loving Jesus by gathering together to love one another. And when we do this, God works in you, making you more like Jesus. He's going to work through you. You're going to minister to one another. And God is going to work among us in our community. See, to love God, I must show up to love his church. You know what you can't tell? I can't tell you. Men, I can't tell you. Hey, you know what? I love you, but I really don't like your wife. In fact, your life just your wife just annoys me. If you said that to me, I'm like, bro, no. As a parent, you can't tell me you love me but not love my kids. You know what drives, I think, and it just hurts God's heart is when the church talks bad about one another, talks bad about the church. There's some of you today that need to repent for what you said about the church at large, what you said about another church. Because we can't love God and not love his bride. And today we're going to do that together. And we're going to practice loving one another right now. We're a church that does bold things. And if you're new with us, I don't apologize for this. But we're going to demonstrate to those of you that are new with us that we accept you by treating you as if you're one of us. This is what I'd love for you to do. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to practice accepting one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another. So this is what I want you to do. Not with the person next to you, because you know that person. With the person in front of you, behind you, I want you to just face one another. Just choose where you're going to face. I don't want anybody to be left alone, so Westsiders, look right here. Look, look, you know, find someone that might be alone. Face one another. This is what I want you to do. Okay? So we're going to practice accepting one another. You ready for this? Ask them their name. Ask them their name and remember it right now. Yeah, do it. We're going to do this online. Let us know your name. Okay. 
You got it? Okay, hey, hey, hey. Eyes back here. I wish I knew that teacher trick. I don't know it. Um, remember their name next week. Because if you remember their name, it's a sign you accept them. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to call them by name and I say, I challenge you to follow Jesus as Lord. Say, say, hey, Mary, I challenge you to follow Jesus as Lord. Challenge them right now. Okay. Pause right there. Pause right there. Thank you. Look at me. Now this is the most important thing, and then we're gonna we're, then we're gonna we're gonna sing together. I want you to pray with one another, and I want you to ask them. Say, Mary, how can I pray with you today? Is there something I pray for? If you don't know what to pray for, if you don't have something that you need prayer for, there's a prayer right here. I want you to pray over. This is adapted from that passage of scripture where Paul said this thing to the church. We're gonna pray over one another. So if you don't know how to pray for that person, I want you to pray this for them, okay? But allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. We're going to continue to sing after we do this, and we're going to end with the worship that is going to be pleasing to His ears. Will you do that right now? Begin to pray with one another.